Welcome to the All About the Journey podcast, hosted by Wisdom Moon, where you'll hear inspiring conversations with Christian leaders from various backgrounds and industries that are making kingdom impact. Now, here's your host, Wisdom Moon. Hey, welcome back to the All About the Journey podcast. And I'm really excited about today's guest. It's a special treat for me because uh, we used to work together. If you know my story, I used to do marketing at Integrity Music, which is a Christian record label in Nashville. And Adrian Thompson, who's my guest today, he is the VP of Song and Artist Development at Integrity Music. And he has years and years of experience in the music industry and working with artists and songwriters. So we talk about his story and his journey. So I really hope that you find it uh, inspiring and encouraging because I sure did. So before we get into the interview though, I wanted to invite you, if you are kind of new to Marketing with Wisdom and what I do as my full-time gig, an entrepreneur, I run a marketing agency and we work a lot with Christian artists, churches releasing music, as well as, you know, other industries. But something that we developed this year in 2020 that I'm really excited about is called the Artist Mentorship. So if you head over to theartistmentorship.com, you'll be able to see everything that it entails. But uh, we wanted to basically offer a way for Christian artists to get mentored by professionals in Christian music, uh, people that have been doing this for a while in different aspects of Christian music. So whether that's uh, being an independent artist and um, doing it, you know, on your own. So we have, you know, some people who are a part of like teaching these webinars that we do, who have experience, you know, being an artist themselves and some who have experience uh, in social media and marketing um, and streaming marketing, also in publishing and songwriting. So really giving you uh, access to so many experienced uh, veterans in Christian music. And uh, really you have access also to uh, this community of songwriters and artists and producers who you can connect with and collaborate with. So we have a lot of great features, and I'll share more about it in the coming episodes as well. Uh, I would love to invite you to check it out. We have a free seven-day trial, so you can head over to theartistmentorship.com and try it out for free and you know see if it brings you a lot of value. See if it's something that you want to continue doing uh, at no risk. So without further ado, here is my interview with Adrian Thompson. Today, I'm excited to be here with my friend, Adrian Thompson. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you very much. It's good to be with you, Wisdom. And Adrian is the VP of Artists and Song Development for Integrity Music. And if you detected an accent, it's because it's he's from Northern Ireland and he's kind of lived all over the place and done all kinds of stuff. And uh, I think you probably have multiple shirts that say been there, done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them. <laughs> so uh, you've done you know the music industry thing for a while um, and you've you have so much experience in that area. Uh, so I'd love to have you talk about that. But first, I would love to hear who was Adrian Thompson in high school? 
Oh my goodness, he was horrible. Uh, <laughs> okay, who was I? I was probably the weird kid that um, that not everybody'd wanted to hang out with. I wasn't the sports guy. I uh, mm. definitely wasn't. Um, I was the last one picked when they were picking teams. It was yeah. me and my friend who also played guitar. And mm. but then we would have to try and barter with the other teams so we could play on the same side and just talk about guitars and music <laughs> while everybody was running around a field. Um, so. Uh, uh, I was that guy. Uh, the two things that distracted me, ironically, were music uh, and faith. Uh, and I say distracted in the lightest possible sense because mm. my school reports were all, they were consistent. They constantly <laughs> said, could do better. Uh, <laughs> um, and I think I honestly believe that's because that wasn't where my focus was. It should have been, mm. but it, it wasn't. I just, I was always my eyes were wider than that. Um, and that sounds really uh, derogatory to education. It's not meant that way. It's just that that's my journey. Yeah. Um, so I was that weird kid. I was also the, I was also the one who wore my faith on my sleeve mm. for better, or for worse. The irony is, you know, you were picked on uh, and made mm. fun of. And that, I was like, cool with that. That's my persecution. I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> and, um, uh, but then on the other side, when, when, the weird thing is it, the kids who maybe you made fun of you or mocked you when they were in trouble, they'd be the ones that would sidle up to you, mm. you know, in the classroom or the locker room and go, Hey, could you pray for me? Cause I'm in trouble. Yeah. And you're like, sure. Um, mm. and, and the weird thing is outside of school, I saw some of those kids like become Christians. Some of them fall away again, but you, you saw a faith journey. So I was that, outlier, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was my journey. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't love school. I was glad it was over. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, I think I felt there was more to life from me. I'd never tell my kids that, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, for me, I guess, I guess something was always working Yeah, that I didn't know what was working on me, but I was just glad to get school out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> So you were kind of a celebrity back in Ireland when you were younger, right? Um, you were part of a band. And yeah. So can you tell us kind of how you got discovered and how, like, you know, you became a name? Um, because a lot of people try to become, you know, a band and become a thing and be in demand. Um, so how did you... Yeah. Get to that point. The story really started when I was about 13, 12, 13. Our church youth group just had a, a weekend just in our church building, just mm -hmm. uh, of teaching for kids, just an intensive weekend. And they had these guest speakers in. And um, the realization, the skills come off my eyes that actually um, this Christian life isn't, isn't a free ticket to heaven. It, it's not just a, a pass. It's actually a lifestyle and a relationship with God. And, and it, it it was the time when I really rededicated or, or really, I guess, totally dedicated my life mm. to God. And when I came home, it was in the November. And when I came home, my parents um, asked what I'd like for Christmas. And I said, I'd love a guitar. And we were from a very working class family. Mm. Um, both my parents worked. Uh, we lived in council housing, as did all our all the people in our neighborhood. Um, Is it council housing? Council. So it's like, um, it's like you don't own it. It's, it's actually the, the local government have these houses that you rent uh, okay, the yeah. neighborhoods and stuff. So it was just a rental. Everybody okay. rented in our neighborhood. Nobody owned their yeah. house. And, um, 
when I said I wanted a guitar, their faces kind of like dropped and they said, well, we don't know if we can afford one, but we'll see what we can do. So mm -hmm. I just spent every night between then and Christmas Eve uh, praying, Lord, if you get me a guitar, um, I'll only use it for you. Mm -hmm. um, and Christmas morning, I got a guitar. I mean, it was terrible. The action was like, you know, you need a device <laughs> grip to try and get your fingers <laughs> onto the fretboard. But that was, that was my thing. So um, after a while, I started playing in the youth group. And then a, a friend of mine, uh, well, a couple of us started playing this little, just a, a little group that we just played songs around coffee bars and little evangelistic events and in our church and in neighboring churches. And, and we got to play a couple of uh, slightly larger gigs in the area, mm. opening up for other Christian bands who are better known. Um, but then kind of our time in the band came to an end as one of the, one of the members was going off to work for uh, a corporation that needed him to move to England. So it was mm. kind of like, oh, it's falling apart. But I kind of knew inside that it wasn't totally done. And I tried to... I tried to start a couple of other bands, but we never even got as far as a rehearsal. It was just kind of like, yeah, we should do this. We should do this. And then it never got there. I was on a trip to a, a festival in the UK uh, on a bus ride. And there was members of another band there. And one of them settled up to me on the way back and said, Hey, would you, would you be interested in joining? We've got one of our members leaving. Love you to, to come along and, and audition for us. So it was like, okay, well, maybe it's this. So I thought, I'd go. And even before I got there, they said, well, well this gig's really yours. And I was <laughs> like, uh, okay. <laughs> so, um, I did, they, they brought me in, uh, to this band and, and one by one, the members that were there were leaving because family, they, they were all having families mm. they were, uh, work was too demanding until it was kind of down to me in the end. And I was kind of <laughs> like, okay, God, what do I do with this? But the yeah. encouragement from the other members were, uh, no, you, you need to carry this on. Mm. So, um, I did, I recruited, I recruited other people locally and, mm. um, we just started playing church halls. We, we did our own, uh, like end of semester annual bash kind of thing in our, our town. And we would have like, you know, our town was 28,000 people and we would have like 400, 500 people show up to that. Um, wow. which was pretty amazing. And we promoted the whole thing ourselves. We, we did everything and we did a lot of evangelistic events and uh, we were seeing lots of, we we're seeing lots of people become Christians, but then we were getting letters because it was the days before email. <laughs> so we were, we were getting letters from these kids in the town going, became a Christian at your gig. I've really been trying to find a church, but people don't understand me. Mm. don't understand where I'm from. And we kind of felt there was a need. So we started a little fellowship gathering on a Tuesday night, uh, every Tuesday night, just for worship, prayer, and just a little bit of teaching. It wasn't to start a church or anything, but we were getting like 60, 70 people just show wow. up. Uh, it wasn't advertised anywhere. It was just yeah. literally word of mouth. And, um, we saw some amazing things happen, but as that was going on, then, um, word obviously was spreading about what we were doing. Uh, it wasn't anything we had done apart from just show up play to the best of our ability and keep trying to get better. That that was all we had. There was no mm -hmm. infrastructure. There was no network. Uh, we, we released a cassette and I remember the local record store, the mainstream record store uh, kept phoning up saying, can you bring more? Can you bring more? And we became their number one selling <laughs> album for a while, which was kind of weird, um, wow. but it was um, exciting at the same time. Um, so th that really worked until, we were offered a deal by word records in the UK at the time. And, um, we signed with them 
And uh, then we had to make a decision about whether we stayed in Ireland, used all our vacation time mm. and traveled across, or we actually put our lives on the line and made the move across. So um, we should have known better. Uh, but April Fool's Day, 1987, <laughs> we packed up all our stuff in, uh, in a little van and a car. And we drove from Ireland right down to London. It was a wet night. We were landed in London. This guy said, I've got accommodation sorted for you. And the accommodation we had was, there were three of us in the band at the time. It was a blow-up mattress, a pull-out bed and a camp bed and the top floor of a church hall that we had to vacate every Sunday morning before 8 a.m. so the kids' work could happen. And that was how we lived for three months. Um, wow. So that's kind of the pocket of how did it happen. But for us in Ireland at the time, uh, all we did was we... Um, we basically gave everything we could hmm. to put on the, the best the, the best event that we could. I mean, I'll call it a show because it was a show. Um, we were evangelistic in how we operated to a large degree, but we had no infrastructure. We had uh, we had no we had no peer. We, we had a few peers, but we didn't have anybody who was really established who had really done it before. Who were forerunners. Yeah. So a lot of it was trial and error. We made a lot of mistakes. At the same time, we we broke ground in a way that we didn't think would happen. And there's lots of stuff happened that we were just kind of like scratching our heads going, wow, that's bizarre, but really good. You know? So, um, yeah, that was kind of how it all kicked off. So fast forward to you like working on the business and label side of Christian music. Um, and you know, you've been a part of some big songs, you know, making these big songs, um, really introducing them to the, church global church uh, like days of elijah mm -hmm. uh lion of judah i mean i remember seeing days of elijah like as a worship leader you know and i mean people just love that song i mean we yeah for a season saying like every sunday you know <laughs> and yep i can uh, believe it <laughs> yeah. so you've been part of like seeing you know a lot of movements and a lot of like big worship songs um and you know you've worked with uh, some of the like legends really of worship music. Yeah, uh, so how did you go from being this artist yourself and then going into the label side of the business? Uh, probably by making mistakes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think when we were doing the band thing, I mean, as I said, we had no infrastructure. There was nothing going on. We had to do everything ourselves. I remember when we launched our first album with Word Records, we did have a, a management team who were, who were looking after us. And um, I remember the, the eve of us going on our first headline tour uh, across Europe, which was about a, uh, I think it was about a, a 25 date tour. Um, on the eve, we just had a call from them saying, uh, by the way, we've decided we're not going to do this anymore. We're right. You're on your own. Um, and uh, with that, we did, we did lots of touring where in the end we ended up with um, all the bills and no income because promoters had kept the money or spent it mm. elsewhere. And I remember my wife and I, we, I wasn't earning much money. And I remember my wife and I sitting down and going, why are we going through this? And mm -hmm. we both kind of felt God was saying, I'm putting you through it so you can help other people not have mm. to go through it. And we yeah. didn't know really what that meant, but I'd taken on like, a, um, I'll call it normal work, uh, part-time <laughs> work to try and finance what we were doing and to try and get by. Yeah. And then um, there was a small independent label 
uh, who had recording studios where we'd done some recording. They were starting up a little distribution company. Mm. And I just had a call from a friend going, hey, they're advertising for a sales and marketing person. You should, you should apply. And I thought, okay, I'll do it. So I went, I did the interview, um, kind of came back. There's lots of family circumstances and I was going, ah, we'd have to move house. We would lose mm-hmm. money if we moved. They're not offering a massive amount of money. Um, we still wouldn't be, we, we wouldn't be any better off. Yeah. I don't know if we should make the move. So I dropped my wife off. Uh, she was going out for the night. I came in to call this company to say, forget the interview we did yesterday. It's all gone. And as I walked in the door, the phone was ringing. It was the head of the company. And I said, oh, I was going to call you. He said, oh, why were you calling? And I said, oh, I was going to call to say, forget me. <laughs> he went, oh, I'm calling to offer you the job. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm really sorry. I think you should just let it go. So that was fine. I kind of like let it go. 24 hours later, the phone rang again. And, and it was the same guy. And he's like, look, I can't get any peace over this. Can you, mm. me and your wife meet somewhere and just chat? And I went, Okay, sure. You know, because in my head, I'm going, if that's what it takes to get it out of your system, sure, <laughs> so we're we're sitting down in, and I remember it was in, on a like a gas station service area of a gas station over over dinner rush hour just outside London. So it was it was crazy. Yeah, and we're sitting in ten minutes into the conversation, the skills are falling off my eyes, and my wife's mm. looking at me, going, "Are you getting this yet? Do you get it?" And I was like. Yeah, I think God wants us to do this. So we did. We moved down. And so it was really starting that way. And the distribution company really didn't have much set up in infrastructure apart mm. from just basics of a of a distribution company. So through the contacts that I had um, through playing gigs and touring, um, I just kind of worked with those contacts to go, Hey, could you help us with this? Could you help set that up? And, um, just over time, I guess, and God's favor, you know, uh, it, it really started to take off and they promoted me to, to label manager. So, um, a lot of the stuff I was learning as I went. And mm. so when I say I learned by my mistakes, there were times you'd make mistakes and you'd go, yeah. Oh, okay. Now I know what I did wrong, but I felt that God was giving me grace, uh, in, building something that yeah that, that i hadn't thought i would ever get the opportunity to do but through all those knocks and falls and just having to work your way through stuff i think that's how he was going i'm mm. opening doors for you yeah. so that was how it started that was really how it got going wow so i mean now i feel like you you have so much knowledge and insight into like you know the label side and publishing side i mean feel like anybody can ask you any question about publishing or you know a and r and like you just have great answers um and you have you know just so much experience in that so you're saying that you didn't go to school for this you just learn no. on the job right yeah <laughs> so, uh, do you think times have changed where now like you have to go to school in order to be successful and especially in like the music industry um, so for those parents that are contemplating paying out huge <laughs> amounts of money, maybe, uh, <laughs> um, I think it really depends what area you want to focus on. If you were saying you wanted to do like, um, if you wanted to, to work, say in the administration side of publishing, it, that might be a good idea because there are principles that are there that you may learn. Or if you wanted to get into the legal side of music, it may be worthwhile mm. to do that. 
The other, especially in the A&R side, intuition is really, really important. Mm. And um, I think relation, being able to build relationships, to have intuition and to be able to um, communicate what that intuition is, I think, mm. uh, and to have vision for other people, to have a servant heart, those are way more important than than having a, a degree. And and sometimes I know, um, and I apologize to anybody that's listening uh, that might feel otherwise. But um, you know, even when when we go through job applications, I think you can normally tell the people who have uh, the natural abilities. Mm as opposed to those that are going through the motion going, well, at college, they said I should lay it out like this mm. and I should tell you about this. And it's kind of like, it's cool. It's good. And I'm not, I'm really not knocking any of the courses because I think for some people that is their journey. But when I look at a lot of my peers within the industry, most of them have, have really come through experience rather than, uh, yeah than degrees. And I'm not saying that shouldn't be the case. Now on the other side of it, the, with the changes that are happening in music, uh, they're happening thick and fast, probably mm. faster than nearly any other industry. Yeah. Um, it's important that you've got to stay on top. You've still got to read stuff. You've got to stay on top of journals, uh, you know, news media um, around music to stay on top. Because if you don't, what what is the norm today? will have changed in a month's time in two months yeah. time in six months time and you leave that for two years you're out of touch and you're giving mm. people advice which is no longer relevant so yeah. i kind of feel that you have to you have to stay on top of it you have to watch what's going on uh wider than just what you do in your mm. office so i think that whole thing where you've constantly got to learn you have to mm-hmm. and you have to have a little bit of knowledge on um I mean, the grinding of education is important from the point of view of you still need to know what makes financial sense. Mm. You've got to know common sense is a great thing to have. And you don't (laughs) often get taught that at school. Um, But um, I think general knowledge and general educational base is good. You know, I've still never used cosines in anything I've ever done. I don't know why they teach you that. (laughs) But um, I think that there's a lot of those principles. So I would say, I've gone a long way around to say um, to do what I'm doing is not imperative to have a degree. I think it's more important um, to actually show your passion and your intuition and to actually do something. It's not lucrative to do that and it's not easy to do it. But if you've got uh, family and friends who are willing to stand alongside you and help you along that, I think that's the best way forward. Mm. Yeah, from I guess my personal experience and as well as just like studying leaders, you know, and entrepreneurs and things like that. Um, I think people who are in leadership positions and are in their field for you know a long time, um, they don't typically get there without a lot of failures and you know <laughs> mistakes, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you could go back to let's say my age, I'm 38. If you could go back to 38 and talk to that Adrian, what's something that you would say to that Adrian? Wow. That's a, that's a really good question. I, I honestly think when I look back on it, it's kind of like, just listen to the still small voice. Hmm. Um, don't strive. It's, it's good to have vision and it's good to have ambition. If that becomes your driver, um, then bitterness can come in easily 
um, disappointment is much harder. But I think uh, listening and responding to the still small voice is the only way to do it and just take one step at a time. So you can have the big dreams to be whatever, but at the same time, it's just take one step at a time mm. and do it slowly and do it well. So um, I think that's what I would tell him. Yeah. That's I mean, he really was, good. He was strange, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a big challenge for most of us because there is so much noise out there. Mm-hmm. And all every everybody has an opinion these days, you know, on yeah, YouTube, absolutely. social media, you know, podcasts, you know. So yeah. like how how do you actually hear this, you know, still small voice? Because sometimes it's hard to even know. You know what? What is the Holy Spirit saying? <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, and I, I don't always get it right. Still, I think, what would I tell the Adrian of today? Same thing as I would have told the one from thirty. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, I, I think uh, there are times when you're running really hard, and you just keep running, and then you hit a brick wall, and then God's got your attention. Mm. I think I've learned, you know, when I'm when I'm on the the commute to and from work. You know, there are times when it's just like, that's when you just have to lean in because there's nobody else in the car and you turn the noise off and you just have to, you just allow those moments for God just to speak. And it is in the silence. It's those moments when you wake up in the middle of the night and, you know, what do you do? Do you reach for your phone? Do you reach for Mm -hmm. a book? Do you, you know, do you get up? And sometimes it's just lying there and, and the thoughts come to your mind anyway. And then you go, God, help me make sense of this. What? What's the right way through? And then um, he opens doors, not always in the timing that we expect or in the way that we expect, but he opens and closes the doors. And sometimes it's the waiting. My wife's been really mm-hmm. good at, um, at lately. She's, she's really been feeling the sense of waiting. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I'm ready to go, no, let's, let's go. Let's do yeah. this. And it's kind of like, no, wait. And I think I'm learning that through her. I mean, I hope she doesn't hear this, but I mean, <laughs> I'm learning from her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's really good and important to like have somebody that, that will kind of provide that checks and balances in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I think especially for people uh, like me, like who are really driven and want to get things done and move it is important to have people in, in your life that say, oh, is that really what God's saying for you to do? And, you know, yeah. Cause we right can time? do it. <laughs> yeah. We can do it out of ambition, out of, yeah. again, out of intuition going, but this would be the normal step that we would take. But sometimes the normal step we would take isn't the step that God wants us to take. Yeah. I think that's where you really got to get the balance. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the weird one. That's the <laughs> one where you kind of go, I don't know why I'm not doing it the way everybody else is. Mm-hmm. But hey, I'll do it that way, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you've worked with you know a lot of creatives, both um, the artists and songwriters, who you know you're there to serve them. But then also like within the team at a record label, there's a lot of creatives. Yeah. A lot of different personalities. Um, yep. I would say you know record labels tend to have a lot of opinions. You know, like different people with different opinions. Um, that aren't afraid to speak up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and, you know, you're one of the leaders um, at Integrity Music. So how do you approach, you know, a situation maybe where there's 
three or four different opinions and maybe it's a little bit heated and it's t- intense and man, especially with like songs and music, it's their baby, you know, a lot of times. And, yeah, absolutely. And there's different departments and different like goals that different departments have. So how do you approach a situation like that? Uh, uh, it's a great question. Um, I think it, it, it depends. There, there are some, there's some battles to fight and there's some ones that you kind of go, that's ah, not the exact way I think to go, but that's not the battle right now. Mm-hmm. I think you, you've got to, and I think experience helps make mm-hmm. those decisions for you. I would say in my role, especially with a and um, the person you're serving really is your artist and their vision. I think if what we're proposing is against their mm-hmm. vision or doesn't serve their vision, then I think that's when I really need to put my flag in the ground and go, yeah. you're not going past this point. And you have to work with other people to say, no, hang on. You, you have to regroup it and go, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, we want to do that. And we know it could bring this, but they're not there yet. And you've got to work with them. So I think as a and you're the conduit between a company and the artist. You're the person that has got a champion um, their beliefs and uh, their vision and what they carry. You've got to champion that to the company. At the same time, you also have to take what the company can do better for you to the artist. So sometimes it is, you know, I can go into a meeting blinkered going, this is the way forward. This is how it should be because this is what the artist wants and I get it and I'm going to fight for it. And then you you hit the clash. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you got to go, actually, no, these guys are right. I need to go back to the artist and go, this really isn't going to work because of this. And so sometimes it has to work both ways. So you have to, that's why I say you have to pick your battles Mm. because um, sometimes you are right and you just have to dig in and keep going and keep going and keep going. If there comes a point where a line has been drawn and the company gone, no, this is what it is. If my boss says, Mm. no, this is what we're doing. Uh, sometimes you've got to breathe hard, but then you've got to go back and sell it to the artist, which is difficult because you're yeah. selling something that you maybe aren't totally aligned with, but you know why. Yeah. And I go with it. And, and you know, there's times right, there's times wrong. And you just have to, you have to fight for what you really believe is the best as long as it doesn't become a stumbling block for everybody. Mm. Um, I think sometimes it's taking somebody in a one-to-one on the side and going, Hey, let me tell you the journey of this artist, or let me tell you why they think this. And then suddenly they go, Oh wow. Because maybe that person works better in a one-to-one basis than being challenged in a group setting. Uh, But I think you've always got to cast vision. Hmm. And you've always you've always got to listen to reason. Or if somebody's in a completely different place, it's it's go sit down with them over a coffee and go, okay, tell me why do you think that for this artist, or why do you think we should be taking it to market this way, or yeah. um, because I want to understand that because right now that feels it would do A, B, and C. But you're telling me it would do D, E, and F. Hmm. You know, so I think. You've got a champion at the same time. You've got to be able to listen and to adjust things and to try and make good judgment calls. And that only, that comes through trust, comes through intuition. And uh, sometimes, sometimes you win, 
Sometimes you lose. <laughs> <laughs> so a big word that stands out to me uh, in that whole conversation is patience. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like it takes a lot of patience to do what you do. <laughs> Sometimes. Um, <laughs> it, it, it can. I mean, I think when I look at the journey, especially of a new artist, um, there are people maybe within your team who can see what it should be. And I think as an A&R person, you always believe or you'd always hope that you're seeing that as well. You, yeah. You're seeing what the ultimate can be for this artist. Mm. But you also got to realize that, yeah, we could we could spend money and we could get them from A to B, bang, like that. Mm. But if there's no foundation of them getting them to that end place, yeah. then it could all crumble. Mm. Um, so I, I think, you know, some of the artists I've worked with, when I've looked at it, you know, I've sat down with, with some of the people in the team and they've gone, well, why can't they just do this? And why can't mm. they just do that? And you go, well, they could, but they're not ready for that yet. And I go, what do you mean they're not ready? They're wasting time. And, yeah. and you go, yep, they are. But if they don't make these mistakes, then mm. they don't learn what's changed. Yeah. And then over time you see them flourish and then everybody goes, ah, oh, that's what we want. And mm. you go, yeah, but it took three years or it took five years to get it there because they need, the artist needs to know it's them. Yeah. Unless it's something that Simon Cowell's dreaming up as a new band and he's just going <laughs> bang, 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 bang. Here's one direction, go. Um, I, I, and I don't think that's how we should be developing artists. I think our development of artists should be that organic growth mm. and it should be, let's grow together. Let's make it happen. If yeah. People don't understand why things are progressing and they don't see that their work ethic is making a difference. Um, then mm. I, I think we've lost something. Mm. So I think that patience, you're absolutely right. Patience to allow people to grow, to allow people to learn, to allow people to fall and to allow people to trust you. Yeah. And that's a big thing is um, you do need that patience and it's frustrating, but so, but sometimes just swallow hard and smile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really sounds like a journey and you can't really sh take a shortcut. No. <laughs> and you have to kind of, wait for it and let it happen. So speaking of, you know, letting things happen, you know, you've seen the music industry change over the years mm -hmm. and with technology, there's been even more rapid change in the recent years uh, with streaming and playlisting and just being able to, for anybody to release music now and yep. upload it to Spotify and pitch yep. their own song, you know, playlists and literally overnight get thousands of streams, you know? Yeah. Um, what would your predictions be maybe for the next, you know, in, in the next five years with the music industry and how people consume and engage with music? Um, what are your predictions? Oh, uh, very good question. Um, I don't see a massive amount of, change as far as a lot of consumption is concerned. I mean, I, I do think the CDs will disappear quicker than maybe people realize. I know that mm -hmm. for a lot of people ready, they're gone, but there is still, there's still a sizable part of the market in a bizarre way. Mm -hmm. um, I see over this next few years that will disappear even more. I think um, souvenir items like vinyl, Mm. Uh, say souvenir kindly because I love vinyl, but at the same time, I know a lot of people just buy it 
and never open it yeah. because it's just a great piece of art and it and mm. it's and it is it, i mean i think when you have a 12 inch piece of vinyl <laughs> it feels like you've got something whereas sometimes a cd just feels like ah uses mm. a coaster um <laughs> So um, I, I think CD will disappear, especially seeing the way cars are developing with more Bluetooth and less CDs. Um, and as people, you know, purchase new or used cars, that, that's going to happen more. Computers don't have drives anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the streaming model is going to continue even more. I think we'll see um, the social media integrate more music Mm. as a standard so i could see i could see people like uh well instagram facebook will become could become a one-stop shop for Mm. all your for all your media um and uh, and music it it always seems to be the first adopter so when it went mp3 it was way before ebooks um you know when it went download it was way before movies were downloadable um you know and i think music always goes ahead so i I can definitely see that we will we will remain in the digital space i don't see that changing i actually see that becoming greater um over time um that's my biggest prediction i just kind of think it is we're able to consume music easier now we're consuming more music um i do think there will be at some stage a form of curation Mm. Uh, so currently you go on and and everything is there i can see through time where there will be more preference given to more people i think when you go on netflix um, there are adverts ready to play as soon as you go on, yeah. normally based on the algorithms of what you've already watched. Yeah. You don't get the same on iTunes, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much like these are the, these are the things that we have decided yeah. that we're promoting. So I think you'll see more interactive algorithms mm-hmm. that will be more personally designed for you. And some of those may be, collated in such a way that it's more of a marketing push. Mm. Um, so when you used to go into Best Buy or Target and you saw the new releases and there would be the featured 12 yeah. or would, or 20 that were there and everybody would go, what's the new release this month? Is mm. this, this, and this. Now when you go on to iTunes or, or, or when you go to Apple or Spotify, the number of releases is kind of like, there is no sense to this. I don't know what's my what are the preferences we're supposed to look at? Cause mm. I think people still want that. Even though we say, no, we want the freedom to choose when there's so much to choose from. I think we still want somebody to guide us. And I, yeah. I think there may be slightly more curation. So I can see social media taking charge. I can see curation happening a little bit more. I think those for me are probably the main, the main things. Yeah. So do you think that maybe some of the positions, even within the music industry like the business side would be replaced by ai or um Um, i i think to a degree i could see some i could see some ai uh happening whenever a new sound a new style breaks that comes underground that doesn't necessarily come from uh data but once that's broken and people are going oh we really like this genre yeah then i think what happens is that's when data and structure starts to develop it further and you know just brings more artists of that genre of that nature through and a lot of that is data driven so even you go to the song factories it's kind of like okay so why are the top 10 
why have they all got this measure? Mm-hmm. How have they all got this kind of, you know, cadence in the song? Mm-hmm. We should write all the songs need to have that cadence. These are yeah. the themes they all go for. We should write all those songs. And that's fine. You will still get hits. You will still get stuff going from that. But what really lasts more than anything, when something is genuine, authentic, and passionate, people yeah. still go, now that's, that stands out for me. So I think... For everybody with music, I think those who are truly passionate, it doesn't necessarily have to be brilliant. The mm. the passion comes through more. So I think we will have some stuff that will be AI, but I still think those with the passion and the drive, those people who use an awful term, it's gory, I'll just say it. You know, it's like if you cut the wrist, would they still be doing it? And the answer mm. is, yeah, they would. Um, those people will still break through. Those people will still go. So whether they are whether they are the world's best players or not, they're still going to do it because the passion is there. And I think people love passion over ability. Yeah. And I think that that will always win. Mm. Wow. Well, Adrian, thank you so much for your time and thank you for answering all my weird and tough questions. <laughs> it's okay. It takes a weird guy to interpret. It's totally fine. <laughs> so uh, maybe you could leave us with one thought um, for people maybe who are interested in getting into music, whether they're wanting to be an artist or get into the music, music industry business side of it. Um, and there's so many different roles nowadays even within yeah totally um for somebody that wants to really pursue that what would be your number one thing that you would recommend that they start with um okay if it's if it's one it's servanthood Mm. so if you're an artist um if you're an artist and you're called by god you're not there to serve yourself uh you're there to serve what what god has given you to steward um if you're in the industry you're there to serve your artists you you're there to serve the calling that god's put in your life too um uh, so i think an attitude of servanthood as opposed to celebrity or um being above everything just being that leader who is like well we're okay we're sorted Mm. it's always got to be a posture of servanthood and the rest of it is up to God to bless or to move or to do whatever. But I think if we don't have a posture of servanthood, um, whether you're on a stage, whether you're loading flight cases into the back of a truck at two o'clock in the morning, Mm. um, or or whether you're processing somebody's royalties on spreadsheets, um, I I think you've always got to have the attitude of servanthood. So you're saying no divas are allowed? No, and I, I don't know. Maybe we should start. Maybe we should start a university around servanthood. <laughs> I'm just yeah. thinking. Maybe. <laughs> wow, that's that's very very important. Yes, <laughs> I agree. It's interesting because not even um, just the legacy artists and like the big artists are divas. I've even encountered you know like artists who are independent artists that have really almost no following be divas. Yeah. Um, and it's really that heart of, you know, coming to everybody like and approaching every situation with a servant heart um, versus yeah. like, how can you serve me? What can I get out of yeah. you, you know, and knowing you? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that that really provides longevity, you know, um, in whatever you do. People love 
people who are willing to serve and help you, uh, you know, help the people around them instead of trying to serve themselves and, you know, climb the ladder <laughs> while they kick everybody yeah, aside, you know? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That's really good. Well, um, how can people maybe connect with you and follow you on social media? Okay. You can, uh, Instagram's probably easier. I've got the weird moniker of, uh, <laughs> at joy brigader. J-O-Y-B-R-I-G-A-D-E-R. And that's probably the best way to connect with me. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Adrian. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the All About the Journey podcast. To connect with Wisdom, you can find him on Instagram at Wisdom Moon or Facebook at Wisdom Moon Official. To check out the show notes of this episode, head over to allaboutthejourneypodcast.com. If you enjoy this podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. We'll see you next time.